We can pray for Maki too. So Maki is translating into Japanese for us. I think、uh, it's the first time she's ridden sidecar with me on a Sunday morning. So I told her I'm going to try to get all big words, <laughs> which is pretty hard for me. Hiroshiku <laughs> Maki. So a family was staying at a local hotel for a wedding and reception, and、uh, one of the kids, the sons, wanted to go swimming. Had one of those pools, nice pools. So the mom had told the son,、uh, "Honey, we we don't have time for that. The ceremony is about half an hour, and so、uh, you can't go to the pool. Maybe you can go later. I need you to get dressed. You need to get ready to go to the wedding." Well, as the time drew near for them to leave,、uh, the young man was nowhere to be found. So the mother was looking around, couldn't find him. Ended up going down to the hotel pool, and sure enough,、uh, found her son there swimming in the pool. Uh, disappointed, uh, understandably, she、uh, she yells at him and says, "Hey, get out! I told you not to go swimming." And the son replied, "Mom, I I didn't mean to. I happened to be walking by, and the devil tempted me, and so I I had to go swimming." The mom looked at the son and said, "Oh, you were just walking by. You have your bathing suit on." And the son said, "Well, I brought it with me just in case I was tempted." Kind of a silly story, but I I think it describes the strategy that many of us have with temptation. That、uh, we know it's coming, and we are, are re- we're ready for it. But sometimes our being ready for it doesn't mean that、uh, we're ready、uh, to fight it. it. Means that we're ready just to give in or give up.、Uh, we're ready to take the plunge. But here in James, the scriptures encourage us that that doesn't have to be our default. That any time temptation comes our way, we don't have to take the plunge. And it's here in these verses that James, in a sense, kind of changes topic, and he's addressing now temptation. The English dictionary defines temptation for us as a strong desire or a drive to do something. It typically has a negative connotation. That means to be enticed or allured to do something, often regarded as unwise, as wrong, or even as immoral. And here in James, we're told that temptation can be overcome as it comes our way, but he also adds a very important warning for us of the fallout or the damage we can experience if we give in to temptation. So I draw your attention back to verse twelve. As we'll do, we just make our way right through script,、uh, verse by verse. He says, "Blessed is the man." Of course, we can insert person, man or woman. Blessed is the person who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that first section of that verse, where it says, Uh, blessed is the man who endures temptation.、Uh, that to me doesn't make doesn't seem to make much sense. I I don't know that I would construct that sentence in that same way. The idea of attaching blessedness, which also can be translated happy. Happy is the one who endures temptation. I think my version would read: Happy is the one who is free from temptation. Or maybe I would even、uh, phrase it: unhappy, unhappy, is the one who endures temptation. 
At least that's generally true for my life. Uh, that was true just this past Wednesday. Um, in the office, they had a big box of chips that were there, and I walked by and I saw them, and I watched my hand reach for them. Uh, the Doritos were calling my name. Yeah, come eat me. You know. But I already knew where we were going as far as Sunday, and I was like, no, I'm going to make this an illustration. You know. <laughs> and I resisted temptation, but I was not, ha- un- I was not happy in the moment. You can ask Anna. I was like, oh, this is terrible, because I wanted it. I wouldn't, re- I wouldn't construct a sentence that way. I already constructed this way. Happy is the person who gives in to temptation. Because there's been times, oh, that's not my notes already. Ready, Maki? We've been into a, a number of the Aeon grocery stores. They put Mr. Donuts right at the entrance. <laughs> and there's been many times where I've walked by and, and Mr. Donuts is calling me. I give in to temptation. And in that moment, I, I'm happy. I construct this happy as the person who gives in temptation. But I think we're all, if we're honest with ourselves, there is this painful truth that we know that when give, we give in, it might be gratifying in a moment, temporarily satisfactory, but then guilt and shame quickly takes over. But notice for James, he, he makes this connection between blessing, again, your translation might even read happiness, and endurance. Blessing and endurance. It's very similar to what he shared back in verse 2 when he said, count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Joy and trials, blessing and temptations. Those are not associations I normally make. And yet here they are in the scripture. The other thing that's interesting, in fact, is the word for trials in verse 2 and the word from temptation here, at least the New King James translates it, it's the same word in the original Greek. It's the word pyrosmos, translated again, temptations here, trials in verse 2. Same word, but the context is different. And because of the different of context, it you know, changes the, the idea or the meaning of it. Trials are, as we studied before, a means that God uses. They are a test, if you will, for us to grow, for us to be strengthened. They allow us to uh, develop our faith muscles. When we encounter these trials and Remember, James has told us that we can look at them through the lens of heaven and realize that God has a plan and a purpose in them. He doesn't waste your pain. He wants to build us up. And because of that perspective, that's how we can then rejoice. That's how we can count it all joy when we go through these hard times because God's using it. Building blocks of faith for you and for me. But temptations are different. Temptations are more like traps that can trip us up. They take us down. And so the rejoicing, if you will, the happiness of it doesn't come uh, when we go in them. The happiness and the rejoicing comes when we overcome them. And here we even read that God gives us this promise of a special reward when we do. 
And it's just from this one verse that we can learn three things about temptation. The first is, it can be endured. They can be overcome. Our preparing for them doesn't have to be preparation to fall or to plunge or to give up or give in. But that we can get over and get through. Number two, that there's a reward. There's a reward that God promises for the person who endures it. And part of that is a blessing. An odd idea constructed together is a blessing when you and I endure the, the, or resist the lure of temptation. And it is a good word choice. Endure. I mean, that's how I feel when temptations come my way. I have to endure them. Endure is a word that you know, we use to uh, describe pushing through pain, getting through discomfort, persevering through displeasure. That's when we use the word endure. And we never say, well, I had to endure my nap today. Oh, I had to endure Blue Seal Double Dip Day. It was rough, but I got through. We don't use those words. We don't use that word for that. But when something's hard, when something's challenging, when something uh, tries your patience, this past week, some of you... uh, some of you did the Murph challenge. Uh, my wife did. And I was super proud of her. She pushed through and she endured through. If you ask her today, she's still enduring <laughs> the pain of the post-Murph challenge. I'm like, I'm not even tempted by that. You just, you know, <laughs> uh, not even on my radar. So. How do we endure? How do we endure temptation? How do we overcome that? James doesn't tell us, but we know from Scripture. In fact, his own brother gives us a great example. Jesus himself. The Bible tells us that Jesus faced temptation. That Jesus was tempted in his humanity. And his humanity, he gave us a great example that we can learn from, that we can follow, that we could apply. And Jesus being fully man and fully God, the Gospels tell us that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there he was then tempted. Temptation came from the devil, appealing into his or appealing to his, his humanity. And being God, he could have sent Satan away. Imagine he could even removed himself from that place supernaturally. But instead, Jesus gave us this great model that in his human body, as a man, as a person, that he stood his ground against temptation that came his way and thus provided an example for us, a model for us that we could follow. And you know the account what happened. Every time that Satan brought this temptation to Jesus, Jesus then fought it. He overcame it. He he endured it, if you will. And how did he do that? Scripture. He quoted Scripture. What, What James doesn't provide, although we can, again, go through 
all of James and realize he'll bring us there eventually. The word of God. The word of God is our greatest weapon. Our most effective tool to enable you and me to overcome temptation. It's when we know the Bible and we recite the truth of Scripture, we preach the gospel to ourselves, we preach the truths of Scripture to ourselves. The psalmist writes, how can a young man cleanse his way? He answers his own question by taking heed to your word, Psalm 119. Later on he says, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It seems so simple, if I can encourage you, as your brother in the Lord, as a pastor, that, that we need to be in the Word every day. Not at a sense of religion or obligation or legalism, from a sense of relationship, of growing in our faith, of walking with the Lord, of experiencing victory over the flesh and over the world. Because I, I know, as you know, what, you know, what happens when we give in to these temptations to be in the flesh and to you know, not follow faith and find ourselves in sin. Oh, there's guilt and there's shame, there's remorse, there's regret. It doesn't have to be that way. God is gracious. And God is a God of forgiveness. So it's good. It's good for us to Know the word and be in the word and carry our Bibles and hopefully you do that. So we want to invite you to do that when you come to church. So I know we have you know, apps now and there's all kinds of different translations. And you know, the best place to carry the word of God is in your heart. To meditate upon the scriptures and memorize scripture. Read it over and over again. There, there's a blessing that God offers Blessed is the one who endures temptation. Then he adds this, and when they have been approved. It's the idea that the temptation becomes, if you will, this test or this obstacle. And, and God says, listen, you can endure it. You can get over it. You don't have to be overcome by it, but you can overcome it. And when you do, there's this approval. It's the idea of being validated or accepted. That original idea or the word, of that, the word that's used there was a banking term in these days. is The idea to indicate uh, uh, the authenticity of a coin. The weight of it. And so they would use scales and they would put the coin to make sure that it was a full weight. And so if the, cool, the coin was a full weight or the person who was weighing it, in fact, make it, if they were authentic and trustworthy without fraud, this is the same term, then to be approved. And even today in our you know, world, we, we tend to trust things that have a, a seal of authenticity or a stamp of approval. Or something that's been verified. It's been tested and verified. And so they put a sticker on it. They put a slip of you know, paper in there. Or they advertise it as such. I mean, just for me, this past week, I bought a brand new phone case for my phone. And I was looking at ones, and all of a sudden, there was a seal, and it said, uh, military-grade drop-tested. 
I'm like, that's the one for me. I don't know if it really was, but it just had the seal on it, so, you know. And it's the idea here. James is saying, listen, we overcome these temptations. We find ourselves approved. We find ourselves validated. Validation of what? I submit to you that it serves as a, a continuing confirmation that you and I belong to the Lord. To deny ourselves. To deny our fleshly appetites. And when we're able to do that, it becomes a validation for ourselves of our growing in faith, of our maturity in the faith, that God is empowering us, that the Spirit is present. It's often a sign of immaturity for a person to give in to every temptation and every whim that comes their way. That's That's generally how little kids operate. Every temptation that comes their way, every whim, everything that is in their previ, they're often led by impulse. Now, my kids are a little bit older now. They still have some of that, but I remember when they were younger, I, I did not want to take them to the toy store. Oh, forget it. It was like self torture. Or sometimes even the grocery store. Because they'd want everything. I want this and I want that. And sometimes they would grab snacks that they don't even eat. I'm like, you don't eat this? They just wanted it. That's generally a sign of immaturity. And sadly, it's not just kids. I mean, even adults can lack self-control. I know some, so do you. They just give in to impulses. They give in to emotions. They give in to whims. The lust of their flesh and their eyes. And so when we overcome these things, James says, so we will be approved. A validation, confirmation for us that we're growing in faith. But notice too that God promises a prize. It's amazing, grace upon grace. Blessing when we overcome, and then beyond that, there's something else that God offers. After you've persevered, here's a prize. And again, it speaks to maturity. It's the mature person that understands the value of delayed gratification, of making some uh, a momentary sacrifice now, taking a little bit of a hit now for something better and greater in the long run. That we're willing to forego a a momentary pleasure for a gain later. You've seen those videos of the little kids that they put in a room, they do these experiments and they give them like a marshmallow and they're like, okay, uh, here's a marshmallow. If you can... Wait five minutes, we'll give you another one later. Or a cookie or something like that. I think sometimes even for us, we, uh, we're just like, no, I want the marshmallow now. I appease my flesh now. God promises those who love him, and hopefully that's all of us this morning, that when you endure temptation, here's the prize. 
And it's an interesting one. He says, you will receive a crown of life. You'll receive the crown of life. God has promised to those who love him. What is that? The crown of life. I have no idea. I really don't know what the crown of life is. But if God's giving it, and he says, here's what I have for you, I know this, it's going to be amazing. And it does sound way better than the crown I received from the dentist last week. (laughs) It's because I didn't endure Mr. Donuts that I got the crown of root canal. (laughs) You know, the scriptures describe five different crowns for the believers. We'll receive an imperishable crown, a crown of righteousness, a crown of rejoicing, receive a crown of glory, and then here in James, also in the book of Revelation, a crown of life. In our time this morning, we we don't have time to unpack all of those different crowns. I do encourage you, it's a great study. Make a note of it and look it up this week on your own and dig into the word of God and hide it in your heart. But here's here's the point we can make and we'll move on to the rest of the verses God's a realist, and God knows that overcoming temptations can be difficult. That's why he uses the word endure. But he also gives us a great hope that it can be done. Our default isn't just to give in and give up. To whatever temptation comes our way. And and they'll look different. We can be tempted to sin, we can be tempted to to run, we can be tempted to give up or give in, tempted to compromise. There's all kinds of different temptations that come our way. And they can be difficult. They can be strong. But God says we can be stronger. They they can be overcome. And he understands it means that we must endure them to resist the pressure, to resist the lure of things that appeal to our flesh. But what James 12 offers to us is a blessing, a declaration that it can be done, and then on top of that, a promise of a prize. That if we can just hold out delayed gratification, there's something better that the Lord has promised to you. And he wants us then to value what he has says, I'm going to give you later. Value that more than to indulge your flesh today. When you have been through temptation and you've resisted it, you've overcome it, the Bible says you'll be stronger for it and James says, we'll even be happier for it. It's a lens of heaven. For us to have that perspective, it requires us then to have wisdom that he asked us, that we can invite us, you know, to ask of God who gives it to us. He moves on, verse 13, and he tells us two important truths here. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he, God, tempt himself tempt anyone. 
So just two things that are true of all of us. One is that we'll all be tempted at some point. Not if, but when. So when you're tempted, and we'll be tempted. As I mentioned earlier, even Jesus was tempted. We're all tempted by different things, but we're all tempted in the same area. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10, and he says, the temptations of your life are common. Everyone experiences them. And he tells us what they are. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Tempted to be puffed up, to think of ourselves better than we really are. Tempted to you know, want things that we shouldn't have. Tempted to give in to our fleshly desires. And so the two truths, one is that we're all tempted at some point. That's just reality. And the second is that we play a key role in our own temptation. We can't say, oh, God's tempting me. This is God's fault. Or I was set up. It's our own desire that leads us. It's like those stores that give out free samples, although in COVID they stopped doing that. Right? You remember those stores? Why do you think they do that? Because they love you? Just want to be nice to you? <laughs> nope. Because they understand human nature. You just get a little bit. Once you've had it, you're like, oh, this coffee tastes good. This cookie tastes good. Because they know if they can lure you with one often, they'll, you'll want the rest. Listen, when we give in, tempta- ten- when we give in to temptations, uh, there, there's a temptation even with that that we're tempted to blame others for it. To pass the buck, to play the blame game. And that's part of our nature. All the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and that's where we find it. That's their first play. They fall into sin. They gave into temptation. God comes looking for them. They both sinned. The Lord, in His love, calls them out. They ate of the fruit they shouldn't have eaten, tempted by, well, initially by the serpent. He puts the thought in their mind and heart, but they gave in. And when they're confronted as a result of their sinning, giving in, Eve says, well, it's the serpent that tricked me. Then God goes to Adam, and Adam, Adam's classic. Because Adam does a double blame in one sentence. He's like, well, it's the woman that you gave me, Lord. <laughs> removes himself two ways. A vital step for us in overcoming our own temptations is to understand the source of them. I have this, and take responsibility. It's not coming from God. God is untemptable by evil. That's what verse 13 is telling us. There is nothing in the person, in the character of God, that is attracted to wickedness or darkness at all. 
nor does he tempt anyone to lure you or me into doing something wicked or in darkness or evil or to appease our flesh. And by the way, that, that's one kind of easy litmus test for us to see if something is from God or not. Just a, a general question we can ask, a diagnostic. If I commit to this thing, if I do this thing, if I follow this path, is it going to bring me closer to the Lord if I pursue this relationship or go to this particular place? Am I going to be drawn closer to God or is it going to cause me to be drawn away from the Lord? Am I just appeasing my flesh? Am I being drawn into sin and something away from the Lord or am I being drawn closer to the Lord? See, God isn't in the business of drawing you away from him. He wants us to draw closer to him. He wants us to grow in faith. He desires for us that we would overcome temptations and overcome our fleshly desires to mature in our faith so that we're not just then you know, giving in to every impulse but we're growing up. In fact, James doesn't say, but Paul tells us that God's so good, he even gives us a promise that he's going to make a way of escape. He provides an escape hatch with every temptation that comes your way. The rest of 1 Corinthians 10.13 goes on to say, and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, God will also provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 God will provide a way of escape so that we can endure it. That's a tremendous promise. An escape hatch. Here's a door, here's a path, here's a way that you and I can overcome it. God says, I promise that there'll be one there. The problem that, uh, that we have, and I'll speak for myself, is that it's there, I just don't take it. You know, sometimes the way of escape is just to leave, <laughs> like Joseph did in the Old Testament. Sometimes the way of escape is turn it off. Sometimes the way of escape is close your eyes. Or don't go there anymore. The problem often is we see the escape hatch. We know the route that we need to take that God wants us to take. The problem is we don't take it. Our flesh says, ah, just this time. It's small. It's no big deal. Or we lie to ourselves. That's why he ends with, don't, don't be deceived. <laughs> we're great at lying to ourselves. We're great at convincing ourselves. We're, here's what we're really good at. We're great at preaching the grace of God to ourselves, aren't we? What makes resisting temptation difficult for so many people, though, is that they don't want to cut it out completely. They think they can keep it like a pet. This thing, this area. 
I don't know, I think people want to be delivered from temptation, but they provide a forwarding address to be found later. Just in case. So James 14 just tells us like it is. Each one is tempted when you, me, you're drawn away by your own desire, your own flesh. What entices you? Temptations can come from anything or anyone. Again, there's all kinds of different things we can be tempted to. Tempted to fear, tempted to quit, tempted to buy. But for temptation to work, there has to be then a connecting part, a desire inside of us. If there's no desire, then there's, there's no temptation. For example, I'm, I, for me in my life, I'm not tempted by alcohol. It's not a thing for me. Now, if I have friends who are, and I, I understand the you know, temptation in, in itself, but for me, I'm not tempted by alcohol. I'm not tempted by cocoa curry at all. I'm not tempted by matcha. Not at all. Like, ugh. There's no desire for those things. Oh, but I have a long list of areas that I am tempted by. I have a very long list of things that appeal to the lust of my eyes and the lust of my flesh and the pride of my life. All right, we, we all have our own, but that's what James is telling us. It, it's your desire. It's, it's your, when you're enticed, Here's the thing we need to understand, too. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. I shared earlier, Jesus was tempted. The Bible says he was without sin. So we can understand, okay, temptation in itself isn't sin. We're, we're tempted to sin. And sin can be the result of giving in to temptation. But, but temptation in itself is not sin. Jesus was tempted, yet he did not sin. He overcame it. It's been said, it isn't the bait that constitutes sin, it's the bite. You know, I, I have come to realize I am tempted by certain people. I already named one earlier. Mr. Donut, Mrs. Fields, Little Debbie, Country Ma'am. Those people tempt me. Our own desires are the true source. It's our flesh. It's like that bumper sticker that read, lead me not into, tem- lead me not into temptation, I can find it myself. And so James is describing the steps of temptation for us. It's the course of temptation. He starts with the source. The source is us. It's yourself. But if we give in to that, here's the course. And notice he uses this word being drawn away. When they are drawn away by their own temptations. That, that phrase in the Greek, it's the idea of being lured. Some of you guys like to go fishing. To go fishing with Cam. Put out lures on purpose. Because right? you're wanting to catch a fish. And hopefully you get a big fish. 
That's the same language of this text. It is being Lord, hook, line, and sinker. And it's our own desires that do that. But notice it's being drawn away. When you're drawn away, drawn away from what? Drawn away from where? Well, drawn away from the Lord. That's the idea. Drawn away from following the Lord. Drawn away from purity. Drawn away from holiness. Drawn away from living for the Lord. Path of purity. We're drawn away to sinful things. We're drawn away to lustful things and things of our flesh, selfish things. We see this in the life of Samson in the book of Judges been characterized that Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness. And it was through his lust for women. And Samson thought he could curtail that temptation after temptation, but he found out very tragically that when you play with temptation to sin, you will always lose. So James is just telling us very plainly. Remember I told you when we started the book of James, he comes out of the gate like an MMA fighter, just flying punch. He just kind of hits us right out of the gate with these truths. And this is what he's saying. We are, you are responsible for your actions. We cannot say when we're tempted, oh, God did it, the devil set me up. It's this person's fault. It's the woman that you gave me, Lord. James says, nope, it's you. It's your own stupidity. It's your own flesh. It's your own ego. It's you. And the only person that you have to blame and you hold accountable is you. When we say, oh, it was a moment of weakness. I was distressed. I was frustrated. That, that may be. And, and maybe even the devil set you up. But at the end of the day, God says, you can overcome. I'm going to provide a way of escape. And God holds us accountable for our decisions and actions. No one else is to blame. And this is just a principle of life and a good one that we we really need to grab a hold of. Ownership of yourself. That when you confess your sins, Here's the grace. 1 John 1, 9, when we confess, you confess your sins. God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. But we have to acknowledge our sins and not play the blame game. We live in a world today that promotes a, a victim mentality. Everybody else is at fault. Society is to blame, and my family of origin is to blame. Now, some of you guys know my story. I I know my family of origin has shaped me and, uh, you know, influences me and even the way that I think about certain things. But I'm still responsible for me. But society around us is like, oh, everybody else's fault for our mistakes and, and my situation. That's not what the scripture teaches us. The scripture teaches us, James tells us, it's you. We need to take ownership. We need to be accountable to ourselves for our 
sin and selfishness and our stupidity and ultimately even our repentance. Because what does James describe for us? He describes this progression. He says, okay, here's what it will cost you if you don't. There's a blessing if you do. There's a prize if you do. But there's a penalty if you don't. It's like positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement, all in the same package. He likens it to the progression of of giving into temptation like childbirth and child development. Notice verse 15, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it it brings forth death. Verse 15 is... Again, describing like child development. He says that desire is conceived. There's a conception that happens. And then what happens? Well, it gives birth to sin. And he describes how sin is personified as it's growing up. It's like you can watch it grow from an idea, this passing idea to be entertained, to, to satisfy your flesh, and all of a sudden now it's being played out in your mind. And all of a sudden you, it's being developed and, and now it's completed. And there it is. It's grown. And here's the thing with sin. It grows stronger the more that we indulge it. The other mistake that we can make is we think, oh, if I just, if I just give in a little bit, Let me just appease my flesh. Let me just feed my sin a little bit. I'll be satisfied. It'll go away. No. It has an insatiable appetite. You feed it a little bit, it's only going to get hungrier. It's only going to want more. So if we compromise, church family, if we yield to our lust, they will only grow stronger. And James just tells us again plainly what the end result is. It brings forth death. And King David is the classic example of this. The classic illustration. He's standing in a place he shouldn't be, on a rooftop, when everybody else is out to war, and he's watching a girl that he shouldn't be watching. He's got something in his view that he should just turn off, turn away. And he lets his mind wander and he does more. And he now he wants to do more than just watch. He's even warned. And you know the account, he doesn't care. He just plows forward. He commits a sin. And then he commits another sin to cover his sin. Ends up getting Uriah killed. Just to cover his sin. All these lies. David gave in to temptation to sin and it brought forth death. It destroyed many lives. James then says just plainly, verse 16 again, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. His concern, it's very pastoral for this group of believers. That they wouldn't be tricked. They wouldn't lie to themselves. They wouldn't be deceived or misinformed about the seriousness of sin, of giving into temptations to the flesh, and the consequences that follow. They were tempted. 
as we are tempted by society around them, desires of the flesh, tempted not to trust God by faith in his promises, tempted to trust in their riches more than the Lord. It's a very pastoral heart that James has. And he calls them my beloved brethren. Again, let me, let me just end here and we'll have a time of communion. I feel the same. I feel like, for me, as a pastor, I've seen too many lives wrecked by sin. Too many marriages and too many families and too many careers and too many people have just gave in to temptation. The most horrible of exchanges for a moment of pleasure, for lasting just turmoil, a loss of a relationships, a loss of career. And it grieves me to think about these people. Now, God is gracious and the Lord works. But what James is trying to warn us is it doesn't have to be that way. It, that doesn't have to be our default. And I guess just, I want to echo what James would be saying. Like, gang, we, let's not play games with sin. You play a game with sin, you will lose. God says, with every temptation, I promise, there'll be a door, there'll be a way that you can go, you can take, you can flee, you can overcome. And it begins with us understanding that God promises this, that temptations can be overcome. We're not just beholden to all the temptations that come to us, then all of a sudden we just, oh, well, I'm prepared for it. I brought my swimming trunks. I'm jumping in. For us to learn to value what God has promised, what, what God has promised us, so much greater than what we would experience just for a moment today. And again, you know it often comes with that though. It's just guilt and shame. But it also means we take responsibility for it. And so this is the course of temptation that James lays out for us. Some important words and thoughts for us to consider. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. The ushers will come and serve you communion, and as they do, we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks truth, and sometimes it's hard truth, but necessary for us. God, we thank you for the conviction of our souls, but also the comfort that you provide. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that leads us because you love us. And you remind us of these very important things. And Lord, I pray if there is any of us who have begun to play with sin, we have opened the door to temptations, and we are passing freely to, in, and through them, Lord, forgive us. May we repent today. May we turn from that today. As we have this time of communion, Lord, may we, may we be like Mary, that we would ponder deeply the, the meaning of, what it, uh, of Jesus in our lives.
power you provide through your spirit, hiding your word in our heart that we may not sin against you. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for, Lord, the work that you do, forgiveness that you provide even when we do blow it. May you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church family, um, communion is about identity and community. It's an opportunity for us to remember what Christ has done for us and who we are. Thank you, George. That he gave his life for you. His body broken, crucified, his blood that was poured out, that you and I might be washed and forgiven so that we can overcome temptation, so that we can enjoy walking with the Lord, to have life abundant. And so this morning, we're going to take time to remember what God has promised us and who we are in the Lord. So we'll worship in song and then we'll have a time of communion, okay?